You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. All right, I'm going to welcome everyone back to your seats. Good morning to you. Uh, as you uh, head back to your seats, uh, go ahead and open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. That's where we will be this morning, Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. While you're doing that, I'll, I'll take a moment to introduce myself. My name's Michael. I'm the pastoral resident here at River City uh, Church, and it's a privilege to uh, preach from God's Word to us all this morning and would love to connect with you. And if you don't own a Bible, we have some displayed at our resource table uh, just back there. Uh, Feel free to grab one of those, uh, use it today, and take it home as our gift to you. And we'll be on page 869 in those Bibles. We're in our fifth week of our sermon series, which we have called Teach Us to Pray. And as Pastor Jeremy shared when we started this series, prayer is one of the most natural things we do as humans, and yet it is often one of the most confusing and difficult things we do too. In Luke 11, after Jesus was praying, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. So throughout the series, we've been doing the same thing and and asking the same question to Jesus. And today we're going to focus on verses 5 through 13 in Luke 11, where we see Jesus illustrating his teaching from verses 1 through 4 with two stories. We'll look at the story of the two friends and the story of the two fathers. And from these stories that teach us about prayer, we'll draw out the importance of persisting, which means to endure or persevere in our life with Jesus and particularly in our prayer life. So let's learn more about experiencing prayer as persistence in Luke 11. Would you stand with me as I read God's word to us? Luke 11, 5 through 13 says this. And he, Jesus, said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us, your people. How in it we see that you are generous to us in so many ways, and in the ultimate way of giving us the gift of salvation through your Son. You made a way for us to be with you and commune with you. Father, we come this morning asking, seeking, crying out to you. Would you remind us here in your word of where our longings and fears and questions find their rest? And would we respond to the invitation to be part of your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven? 
Even though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word will stand forever. So as we meditate here, we ask for your help. Would you open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things found in your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to think with me about something that you wanted in life that you didn't already have. Maybe it was tickets to a a Timberwolves basketball game. They're actually pretty good this year. Or a new kitchen appliance that you didn't get off your Christmas list. Or maybe you wanted something that cannot be measured monetarily, like for your child to behave better in school or for your boss to like you at work. We all have things that we want that we do not have, things that we're asking either out loud or for sure in our heads. But the thing is, at some point, we stop thinking about those things. We stop asking and we forget. Or we get distracted with the myriad of other things we have going on. And that's not necessarily bad, but it does expose our limitations. The fact that we can't dwell and we can't persist on things that matter most to us shows our finiteness. And all this got me thinking about how our infinite God receives all of our desires and requests, big and small. There might be something you're excited about, so you hurry to prayer with faith and discernment before God, but God doesn't answer. He doesn't say yes, but he also doesn't say no. Instead, through God's silence and apparent inactivity, he's saying it's time to wait. So we begin the grueling and sanctifying process of waiting. We try to wait upon the Lord. We try to persist in prayer. And as we do, life moves on, and we move on with it. There are new things that catch our eyes and other reasons to be excited. We move on. We forget. We stop asking and praying, and we stop persisting. But God doesn't stop persisting for us. He doesn't stop receiving our prayer requests, and he doesn't stop answering them. God will never stop showing us what we really want when we either abandon it or persist in prayer. And let's be honest, we have all abandoned the best that life has to offer at one point or another. The one who created us, God himself. We've all abandoned him for something else, except for one. There is one who kept a perfect relationship with God. There is one who persevered and endured despite his circumstances of living in a broken world, and despite his community, who were all compromised by sin, and despite the alternative choices that the devil tried to tempt him with. While he was on earth, Jesus persisted as the perfect human we could never be. He remained faithful to the Father's plan to rescue humanity from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And as you've heard throughout this sermon series, Jesus persisted at a crucial moment in a garden before he was taken away to be killed. And the band, City Light, captures this moment well in their song, Your Will Be Done. Verse 2 says, How in that garden he persisted, I may never fully know. The fearful weight of true obedience It was held by him alone. What wondrous faith to bear that cross, to bear my sin, what wondrous love. My hope was sure when there my my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus persisted when he was in the garden praying to his father. He persisted while hanging on a cross, and he persisted when he rose from the tomb he was buried in. And even after returning to his father in heaven, he persists for us now, giving us his spirit that empowers us to persist in this life and be part of his kingdom that is here now and will fully arrive one day. And this leads us to our main point this morning. We can persist in prayer because of the one who persists for us. We can persist in all of life because our God persists for us. And our three supporting points will tell us more about who our God is, who persists for us, and what he has done for us so that we can persist in prayer. We can persist in prayer because God is our gracious friend, God is our generous father, and God gives us our glorious future. So let's learn more about our gracious friend here. Look with me at verses 5 through 8 in Luke 11. should be noted that this parable does not begin, who of you will be so rude as to disturb your neighbor in the middle of the night with such a request? It doesn't say that. Instead, it says, who of you has a friend you can go to? Who you have a friend you can go to in a time of need. Jesus wants us to identify with the friend who is asking for help, the needy friend. Now, you and I would be too embarrassed to disturb our neighbors in the middle of the night unless it was a crisis, like like if someone's house was on fire. There's no way we would barge in on our neighbor and ask them for food, in part because of our pride in keeping our good reputation in our neighborhoods. And we would never make a demand as this needy friend does. But the needy friend isn't just making, asking any neighbor. He's asking his friend. And no true friend would be such a crank as to, to turn down an urgent and legitimate request to help another friend help their friend, no matter how they might be tempted to try to put them off with their less-than-ideal circumstances. If a grumpy, sleepy friend will answer an urgent request at an inopportune hour, how much more will God answer us in prayer? Some of you are here today wondering, can I pray to God when my life circumstances are in a downward spiral? And you've answered your own question with no, because God is the reason why my life is so bad. He's, he's too stubborn or stingy to help me. You've taken some truths about, about living in a fallen, broken world and struggling to persist in that, and combine that with the lie that it is God's fault because he hasn't removed your hard circumstances or the hard circumstances of others. I want to confront that lie here about prayer with the truth that we can keep praying despite our circumstances because these verses show us God doesn't like the circumstances you're in either, and he's actually the one who is doing something about them. He will redeem our crises both now and in the future, and he's the one who is sustaining us right now, our well-being in the present. Last year, as part of my pastoral residency, I had the privilege of officiating the funeral for Melissa Ulrich. Prior to our church replanting, Melissa was involved in the life and ministries of our church. However, a big reason why Melissa became unable to attend church was because of a growing number of health issues she was battling. I did not know the extent of the issues Melissa was facing until she sent me an email that said, Michael, I'm in the ICE at St. John's, organ failure and asking for prayer. I've been a miracle. 
And so I sent her an email letting her know I was praying. I asked if I could see, if I could visit her, and if she needed anything, but I never heard back. So I prayed to God for Melissa. Her circumstances were grave, but her faith was great. She knew her God is good and that he could heal her. And I know others in Melissa's life pleaded with God to spare her life. But a couple weeks after I received that email, Melissa died. Melissa's death was not the only time I have experienced God's deny for pleas of help, and I know that's the case for all of you. Perhaps you have prayed many times for a friend to believe in Jesus before they die, but they died, and so too has their opportunity to believe. Perhaps you are are begging to God to heal a family member from a mental health setback, but he hasn't. How can we persist when God says no or not yet? How can we persist in our circumstances? We see in the scriptures the Apostle Paul faced dire circumstances during his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. Yet one unrelenting pain seemed to stand out. He had a a mysterious thorn that tormented him and led him to plead to God to remove it. But God said no. And God also said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Much ink has been spilled over the details of this passage, and we can speculate, but we ultimately don't know what that thorn was. But Paul certainly did. It seemed to him that Satan was was twisting it in like a razor-sharp knife into his flesh. Paul suffered so much from it that he pleaded with the Lord on multiple occasions to take it away, believing God could grant his request. Earnest prayer, however, would not be enough this time. Paul would need to endure his pain-inducing, weakness-exposing, and prayer-evoking thorn. Yet, instead of relieving pain, the Lord promised Paul grace. The thorn would, would deepen Paul's dependence on God, and the grace would keep him from giving up on God, who said no to his prayer. Paul would even learn to boast in his weakness as divine strength shone through. We, we may not feel like boasting in our weaknesses or our circumstances today, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we have this same strength. Jesus is our better friend who strengthens us again and again when our faith wavers and our prayers falter. Because the reality is, when a friend in need comes to us, we, we won't, and it won't always be at the best time, it may actually be at the worst time. And when we are tired after a day full of, of work and responsibilities at home, we are wearied by our shortcomings. And in our sin, we snap back at our friend. Or we go through the motions and, and wear our Minnesota nice face. But in the inside, we're actually shutting the door on their face. And this is not the way God, our gracious friend, treats us. Despite our efforts to project false perceptions onto him. The Bible shows us God has a name and reputation to uphold. And his reputation is gracious and not prideful. God will uphold his reputation of redeeming his people and doing great and awesome things for them. The redemption of the deepest parts of ourselves to the outermost parts of the world is what we all want. And for those of us who follow Jesus, that's what we get. This is how he persists for us as our gracious friend. And as we'll continue to see, God never acts inconsistent 
from his character. The reason we can persist in prayer is because of the confidence in the one to whom we pray, God, who is our gracious friend and our generous father. Let's look next now at verses 11 through 13. So like the story of the two friends, Jesus taught the story of the two fathers to show us that even parents on earth can give good gifts to their children. And he did this to point out something about God's parenting. No parent would would give their child something harmful or or deadly uh, instead of the food that their hungry child needs and requests to live and to flourish. And if a parent who sins like you and me will give their child what is needed, how much more will God, our Father in heaven, who is sinless, be counted on to give his children what is most needed? Both parts of the story here illustrate why we can expect God to answer our prayers. And it underscores why we can approach God in prayer, humbly confident that he will answer. So River City Church, even if we are all in on Jesus, even if we're committed to serving our family here and our friends, God persists for us. He is still faithful to us in ways that we are not. And we know this because Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The other point here in verses 11 through 13, here's, here's what the point is not, okay? The point is not go on praying because God will eventually respond to your persistence. Rather, the point is keep on praying because God responds generously to the needs of his children. I want us to see here that persistence is not like a, it's not like a spiritual crowbar or a jackhammer that pries open God's willingness to act, okay? Rather, persistence is how Christians continue to open themselves up to God, to grasp his will, and to be grasped by it. A child does not need to whine constantly to get bread from a loving parent. Parents are supposed to give their children bread. And this points to the truth that everything, everything, could be your wedding registry, could be your pregnancy test, could be your mortgage payments, everything depends on the generosity of God and not the facade of our self-sufficiency that shrouds our cultural moments, nor the unrelenting persistence of us asking And we do this, okay? We do this in ordinary life. This shows up on our Amazon wish lists. This shows up even in our private journal entries, both of which are things that can show us our lack of self-sufficiency. Therefore, there is no reason for us to keep our troubles, worries, and needs bottled up inside of us and bear needless pain because we do not take things to God in prayer. He wants us to keep asking, and he proves he is generous. We spent time addressing our fears and doubts about the circumstances around us that can hinder our prayer life, but what about the circumstances in us? Can I pray to God even if my character is rotten after all the terrible things I've said and done? Some of you in this room are wondering that right now. Will God still accept me and my prayers? And apart from the grace of God, our character is rotten to the core, that is true, But God did something about that too. Because of the gospel, you are not only accepted, you are bought with the blood of our Savior, the most costly gift that our Father could give. So that means we can keep praying despite our character because now we're being conformed into Christ's character. And if we see God's character as our generous Father, then that changes our prayer life from bartering with God to submitting ourselves to the Father who provides When it comes down to it, God's generosity is expressed in one of two ways, 
protection, or provision. Here's what writer and professor Griffin Goolidge means by this idea. God gives us what we ask for. It is because of his great love. But the converse is also true and what we often miss. If God is not giving us what we're asking for, then he is protecting us from it. And this is symbolized in our passage by a snake or a scorpion. Because our heavenly father provides his children with only good gifts, anytime he withholds from us, we can be sure it is because that gift does not serve his ultimate purpose, to conform us into the image of Christ. And sometimes God withholds it because of the rotten fruit it would bear in our lives, the unseen pain it would cause, or the lessons or formation it would steal. Sometimes God's no is for a reason, whereby he provides for us in our waiting what we could not get through immediate gratification. Often we're called to be like the woman from Jesus' story in Luke 18. She's seeking justice from an unjust judge. And that means to wait on the Lord and be persistent in our asking. And even in that story, God is not the unjust judge. In those moments, he's not holding out just, just to tease us until we're desperate. The gospel shows us to what extent God is willing to go for our benefit. And the gospel shows each of us in our own hearts uniquely the way God is preparing us to receive his answers to our prayers. When our character feels worthless, when the dark night of the soul comes, when our tears flow over and over like a river after a rainstorm, and when our prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling, we can rest assured that our prayers are heard and answered, not just by a God who reigns, but by a Father who generously provides for us now and promises to make all things new. This is the glorious future he promises us. And it's the final way we'll see today how God persists for us so that we can persist in prayer. Look with me at verses 9 and 10 in our passage. It's here we will learn how we can persist in the present because our future is being realized. And we'll start with why reading the story in, in light of the larger story is key, okay? Because these two verses have been misunderstood and misapplied for centuries. Even after everything we've learned here today, we're, we're still prone to ask, can I pray to God for anything and expect anything in return? And despite how these verses read, the short answer is no, which you've probably already suspected, and here's why. These verses are a saying, okay? And the saying does not commend the virtues of asking, seeking, and knocking so much as they point to God's love and grace and the answers to our prayer requests. This is why Jesus does not specify what it is we are to ask for or to seek after or where to knock. Rather, Jesus calls us to ask and seek God to knock on the door of mercy. The image of the door here even refers to salvation. And elsewhere in Luke, Jesus warns of the same door being a narrow door, and it can be shut tight. Now, you might be thinking, Michael, that, that's clarifying, that's helpful, but what if I'm not asking for these good things of God right now? How do I know what I'm choosing to ask for is the right thing? And if that's you, we've all been there, I want you to know that you can keep praying despite your choices and despite your desires. Yes, it is true that because we're sinners, we make bad choices and, and those abound and they flow into our prayer life. And God does not want that for you. But the gospel shows us we did not choose God, but he chose us that we might go and bear fruit. And what kind of fruit? 
we see its fruit that will last. So that we, whatever we ask the Father in his name, he may give to us. And the good news from verses, uh, verse 13 here is that God has given us the Holy Spirit to be the one who bears that fruit in our lives so that we know how to live and we know what to ask for. The Holy Spirit is what the Father promised to give, what Jesus brought, and what we so desperately need. All of us may hear this and, and will still struggle at some point or another to seek the Spirit in our prayers. So how does God dwelling in us affect our prayers? Especially if, if we feel like we're working against the Spirit in our asking. In his book on prayer, pastor and theologian Tim Keller addresses this. Tim says, ask, ask God with confidence and hope. Don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing. Of course you will. God tempers the outcome with his incomprehensible wisdom. Cry, ask, and appeal. You will get many answers. We see in our passage the Father, Son, and Spirit are bringing about the kingdom together. And then Jesus chooses to work in and through his disciples so that they would advance the kingdom together. So that today we get to continue this mission through the ordinary prayers that we pray together in gospel community. River City, we get to pursue this glorious future together. And one way of persisting in our prayer lives, in the life of our church, is through our discipleship groups. Simply put, these are our gender-specific gospel communities of three to five people in pursuit of Jesus together. And this is something that is it's waiting for you, and we're happy to tell you more. But one reason why this kind of community is so needed is that it is a space to listen with compassion and not judgment while praying together. Like what Keller was saying, this assumes that when you gather with your small group, people that are close to you in your life, you are going to say the wrong things sometimes, and that's okay. We can surrender our posturing to the Lord. Surrender that voice in your head, but what if I get it wrong? You will. And it's, it's all about who we pray to, not how good I am at praying. The reason we can persist in prayer is that the results are on God's side of the ledger and not ours. And our passage points to that future day when the results are in. That day that our gracious friend and generous father has invited us to. We can read about this future in the last book of the Bible, Revelations chapter 4 and 5, where you find Jesus opening a scroll that contains God's plan to deliver his people and destroy his enemies once and for all. And among many angelic beings, we find a select few holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Those bowls are filled with the prayers of God's people who have longed, cried out for God to bring his kingdom. They are prayers for the effects of sin, suffering, and Satan to be overcome. And to that point, those prayers have not been fully answered. On this side of glory, we persist to God to answer our prayers. But one day soon, the Lord will answer his people. He'll answer our prayers with a complete and undeniable yes. On that day, the Lord will answer my prayers for Melissa and resurrect her body in glory. On that day, our Heavenly Father will console you about your friend's eternal destiny. On that day, God will finally rid us of the thorns we begged him to remove. And on that last day, when we finally know what God knows, we will accuse him of nothing. 
but being faithful to us in seeing his kingdom come. And until that day, his grace will be sufficient to hold us fast. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond. 